so glad you're here with us this morning. We are going to probably finish our series that we've been doing in the book of Hebrews today. We're going to continue. We looked at chapter 10 two weeks ago, and then we looked at chapter 11 last week, and today we're going to look at chapter 12, the first three verses, and then we're going to kind of look back just a little bit, but we're going to look at the first three verses as we look at a sermon titled, Look Where You're Running. Look Where You're Running this morning. If you've got the scripture turned over there, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and let's stand for just a moment and let's look at these three verses together. And the Word of God says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And verse 3 says, For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we're asking you, God, that you encourage us, that you strengthen us, that God, you put a resolve within our soul and our spirit, that God, that on this race that we run with all of our might and soul, with your strength, your power, with your Holy Spirit, that God, you help us to finish the course that we have been set upon, oh God. You're involved, you want us, Lord, to finish the course And God, you'll be waiting for us as we cross that finish line. And we thank you, God, that you're here. And that, God, you want to draw us even near. God, have your way in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Looking where you're running. Look out. Look where you're running. Our eyes is very important where our eyes are, isn't it? Amen. It's very important. Here, we. it's not clear. There's speculation on who the writer is of the book of Hebrews is. Some people uh, say that it's, it's Paul. There's different camps on that. There's as many that says it wasn't as was. But either way, this, this writing is something that we are being encouraged with. And he's talking to a church that's being persecuted. He's talking to a church here that's going through the test. And there is a pressure. And, and if you look at who's testing them, it wouldn't be who you would think. It's, the test is coming from the Jews that's working against the saints, the Christians that are trying to attack just as they did Paul. They're the ones that is stirring up and instigating the attack against the Christians. And so there is this, there is this fear that through the pressures and through what they're facing that they'll turn back. They'll turn back to their old lifestyle. And so this Hebrew writer is encouraging us these last few weeks, is giving us reasons to say, don't look back, keep looking forward, and telling us where to put our eyes to realize that the race is almost finished. Hang on. And so today, the same encouragement. Listen, our country's went through such a period of, of just blessing and the goodness of God And the Lord has poured out all these blessings. But we are facing a time. And it's getting ready to get even darker. I I pray that I'm wrong. 
but I can see things gearing up. The more you listen to what's going on in the news, more you hear some of the comments, some of the ultra uh, uh, anti-Christian people believe that the Christians, the evangelicals in, the, in this nation are the problem. And, and honestly, I feel like that some of, the, some of the language they're using is saying basically this. If we get you out of the way, our agenda can come to pass. You're the one that stands against some of the things that we believe so strongly in. You're the one that's our obstacles against the, the, uh, the abortion and, and against a, the uh, a homosexual lifestyle and other things that we... The thing that you, you say things are sin and we don't want to hear about sin. And why do we say these things? Because all we're doing is believing what this book tells us. We're basing our life on what the Word of God says. And so the only way that they can put out that voice is for them to put out the, uh, the, the testimony of the church. And so there is, and just that's why it's so important even in this hour. It's not just a coincidence that above everything else you can go shopping, but they're trying to close the churches. It's not just because you're going to be, listen, this, this weekend there was a lot of people a lot closer than you are right now. Let's put it that way, in the stores. And so we realize there is... There is an agenda against the things of God. So this, this, these, this word of Hebrews is more encouraging to get our eyes, and we can endure. That's what it's trying to say. You need endurance. You've got to get your eyes. Because if you're in there, and you're just, if, if Christianity is just a part-time job for you, if your Christian relationship is just something that you put on Sundays, and the rest of the week it's not that important, you better be listening. <laughs> because the ones that's going to make it across that finish line, is the ones that this life is everything. That this life of living for God is more important than our jobs, more important than our families, more important than wealth. It's more important than anything else. You've got to get your eyes where they need to be. And so he's encouraging the church of that time, and it encourages us today, keep moving forward because you're almost home. We've almost made it. And the Lord wants us to make it successfully across that finish line. And so today we're going to look at four things where our eyes need to be if we're going to make it success. I want to make it, don't you? I don't want to just get hope I'm going to make it. I want to press in and say, Lord, I'm going, to ha I'm going to make it no matter what. You're going to help me. And so we're going to look at four things today to finish the race. So to finish the race first, the Word of God here is telling us you've got to look back. You need to look back. What am I talking about? It says in verse 1, wherefore... And it's talking about therefore, it's talking about look back at things I've just said. Seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's he talking about there? These witnesses that he's talking about is, is the ones that we read about. You can put the title slide back up. The what he's talking about there is talking about uh, the witnesses of the saints in the Old Testament that's already gone. We talked about four of those last week. These people that they only got a glimpse of what God was doing. And we see that they held on with all their might and they, they didn't see what we see. They could see from a distance that God was moving in their life and God was doing great things that was coming. And God even made promises even to Abraham and said, let me tell you something, I'm going to bless your life if you follow me and I'm going to give you children as the stars of the, uh, of the sky, the sand of the sea and I'm going to bless you and your children and your children's children and so on. 
if you follow me. And it says that Abraham, he followed him to his last breath. Well, he got to see the beginning of that promise. He got to see his son that God was doing a miracle in his life. And God was giving him the promise that he had got. He had promised him, but he never got to finish it. He never got to see the end of it that we get to see. See, we're on the different perspective. Instead of looking forward and seeing what God's going to do, we're able to even look back and see what God did and continue to do and where we are today. And so we have much more reason to trust in God and to have faith in the things of God than even they did. And he, so he's telling us to look back. Let me just read you a few verses the end of that chapter that I didn't read last week to realize that, man, if they can do it, God, we can do it. And so he's encouraged us, starting with verse 32 in chapter 11, he's telling us a little bit, summing up this, these people. You're going to see victory. You're going to see some that even went through persecution, but they all had one thing in common. They kept the faith. It says in verse 32, And what shall I say more? He's just talked about all these individuals. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flout the armies of the aliens, women's receiving their dead, raised to life again. Wow, God gave them great victory, but some even suffered and would not give up. It says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, more of, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Were tempted. Were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Look at this next verse. Of whom the world was not worthy of whom the world was not worthy that did all these things that were faithful. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Verse 39 says, And these all, every single one of them, having obtained a good report, a commendation from the Lord through faith, received not the promise. That doesn't mean they didn't receive any. That really means they didn't see all that God had promised. There was more to come. And verse 40 says, And God, having provided something better, some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. That verse is, uh, that verse is saying, For God had something better in mind for you and me, that they would not reach perfection without you and I. In other words, God is saying here, this Word of God is saying that all these things they held on, even though they didn't get to see the fulfillment of God sending His Son as a sacrifice for sin, that He would live within us, that there was no more need for animal sacrifice, but we could once and for all have sins not covered, but washed away through Jesus Christ. And he was, it's talking about that there was a fulfillment that we receive that they just got to see from a distance. And so when you look at this, when you look back, not only are we amazed, not only should we be encouraged, this is giving us a picture that we're in a coliseum. And if you've ever ran on a track, and there is, there's people, there's stands all the way around you. And when you run, there's people in the, in the stands and they're cheering you on, right? Hopefully they're cheering you on. 
And so they're cheering you on. You can do it. And the picture here is a race. And it's saying that all these multitudes of godly people, men and women, who with less things to be thankful for than you and I, they endured to the end. And now they're in the stands saying, you can do it. I did it and you can do it too. You can make it. We're on the track now. Your life is on this race. And the question is, what will you do with it? How will you run? How unbelievable it would be to get within sight of the finish line and not finish the course. And that's why the first thing we have to do is look back. Look at back at the faithfulness of God, even in that old covenant in the Old Testament. But God says, it says that He looked forward and He had something even greater for us. And so we need to look back and realize that there is other ones. Their lives should be an encouragement to you and I. Even in our lifetimes, I can look back at saints of God that before had an impact in my life. Now they've gone on. They have now received their reward. They have now finished their course. And they made it to the finish line with a testimony, I didn't give up. And their lives encouraged me and you. There is people watching your life today and you can be an encouragement to them. Don't give up. Don't give up. To be able to finish your race, first we've got to look back and see what God has done. Number two, to finish your race, you must look within. You've got to look within your own self. It goes on in verse 1 and says, And let us lay aside every weight. Every weight. What is it talking about? It's telling us to throw off every hindrance. That word weight is talking about something that pulls you down. That's something that causes you to be heavy. If you ever run, you would be probably amazed if you were to flip some channels and see a track meet and you've seen people lined up and everybody, and they, you know, they, they don't put on any more clothes than they have to. They want to be sleek. They want to be lightweight. They pay hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for shoes that are so light, you can't even, t- if you put them in your hand, it's like, well, they're not even there. It's almost like they're pillows or clouds. It's like, my goodness, these are, they pay for that so that it takes away weight. If you were to look at a track meet and you've seen somebody with big snow boots on, it's at the starting line, you would say that person has definitely got a problem. They're not going to do too well. They probably won't finish the race, Right. We look at that and say that's foolish for somebody to think they can do that. But in our spiritual life, sometimes if we could see ourselves the way God sees us, we got on snow boots when we should be getting rid of some things. It's talking about cast off things. It's actually showing a picture. Uh, the, the wording here shows a picture of garments that they're taking off. They're getting rid of burdens that's going to cause them to be burdened down because they got one goal, finish that race. We can't let things... It's not talking... This part here is not talking about sin. It's talking about things that in itself is not necessarily wrong. But it's things that hinders you. These hindrances in your life will slow you down. It'll keep you from being able to finish the course. When we had the... uh, the uh, Redbud ride, and we and some of you all were back here and doing a great job uh, handing out the, the free stuff and, and directing people. I was at the front for part of it trying to get people's attention because they were missing our parking lot. And so one particular guy, I think he was from Chicago area, he spent a, quite a bit of time talking to me. And uh, even though he had, some, he had some language I didn't really care for, one of the things we got talking about was his bicycle, and he was talking about he wanted to get 
a better bicycle. And I said, why? And he talked about it. It's because it's lighter. It's more expensive. That's what he was planning on. A couple of months, he was going to get his new bicycle. And he said, uh, uh, the new bicycle was going to cost $10,000. The one he had he was throwing off on cost $5,000. And I was thinking, buddy, let me tell you something. I couldn't even afford that thing right there. And the reason that he would pay so much more, it's, it's lighter. It, it, takes the, it takes less uh, uh, power to, to make it, you know, to pedal it. It's, it's lighter so that you have less fatigue so that you can endure. And it's the same mentality in this Christian experience. What in your life is causing you to be weighed down? What is causing you not to fulfill the things that God has called you to do? That you're not drawing closer to God like you should. Why? Because things that's not necessarily wrong, we've let them get too big in our life, and all of a sudden we find them spiritually dragging us down. And so we need to ask God, God, I want to finish this course. Help me to see the things that are hindering me to slow me down. You know what else a hindrance will do? It'll distract you. The, the, the crowd that we're seeing here in this scripture is those, and I, I remember when I ran before when I was younger, they would be people in the crowd that was your friends and your people that cared about you, and they would egg you on, do it, you can do it. And you could hear this, you hear people, and it's like, yeah, I can do it, I can do it. So we know that that's what the Lord is doing, and those witnesses that it's around us is encouraging us to move forward. But do you know we have an enemy of our soul? He's got a different plan. He wants to distract you to get you off course. He tries to get your attention to put things before you that will tempt you to try to pull you off course. A hindrance can slow you down, but it will also distract you if you don't watch. Don't let anything in this Christian walk that you're walking, don't let anything distract you from the main thing. And, that's, and of course, we've said this before, the main things to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and realize the, the battle is almost over. The race is almost completed. Don't let it distract you. And finally, you know what else a, 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 the hindrance will do? It'll discourage you. If you've, got, if you've got weight that's pulling you down and you're running, and I, I remember used to when I was trying to prepare for running, they don't even know if they make them, if it's legal. I've never seen these in years. They used to have ankle weights. And you all might remember these things. You put them on in big lead weights and you put them on your ankles and you'd run and it would build up your muscles and your legs. I think later they found out they were actually messing people's legs up. But they, we, we would run with that extra weight. I've seen them with parachutes and stuff now. I think that's a little bit more safe that they run and pull against. But they would run, and all of a sudden, your legs would build up endurance so that when you take off those weights, all of a sudden, whoosh, you can fly because now you've built up endurance. And without the weight, you can move faster and you can move farther than you could before. we got to get the weights off. we got to get the hindrances off. You need to realize that nothing's more important than this, this faith race that we're on to cross that. Nothing's more important. There will, there will not be one of us that ends up there that realizes that there's nothing more important in your life. Not a person, not a thing or possession. Nothing's more important than getting to that place where we cross that finish line. Get rid of the hindrances. A woman was dreaming about a rapture one night and to her amazement while everybody else was just zooming up. As she's seen in her dream, everybody was just passing on past her. She went up so far and all of a sudden she stopped. And the rest of them kept going, and she was just barely above the top of her living room uh, house, you know, the, the roof of the house, and she was stuck. And in her dream, she looked down, and her furniture, which turned out to be the most important thing, her things, 
had a rope and it was tied around her ankle and he wouldn't let her go any further. She took that when she woke up. She realized that her possessions was too big to her. And she needed to get rid of that, and whether that was divine or not. You know, sometimes some of the things in our lives that in itself, there's nothing wrong with it, but when it becomes bigger than God, when it becomes more important than our final destination, it can be a hindrance in your life. It's not only talking about in that verse about hindrances, but it talks about, it goes on in that verse 1 and says, talks about sin, throw off not only hindrances, throw off, cast off every sin. It says, and the sin which doth so easily, in verse 1, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. The sin which easily besets us. What's that word beset mean? It is talking about something that clings so tight that it trips you. And throws you off course. It's talking about these little things that we let in our life. And when we start doing those, we may feel a little guilty. We may say, well, Lord, I'm not sure if that's something I need to do or not. And if you don't watch, you're looking left and right and you see other people and they're doing it. You look at other people and they got worse problems than you do. And somehow we finally let that thing continue in our life. To where the end result is it clings to you so tightly that it trips you and you stumble because of it. That's not what we need to do. It's talking about something that will knock you off course. We see that even in Jesus when He began His ministry. And He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately it says the Spirit drove Him, drove Him, pushed Him into the wilderness. And for 40 days the devil was throwing everything he could in front of him to tempt him so that he could knock him off course. And so we realize that he was not successful. Why? Because the Lord kept his eyes upon his Father and he used the Word of God and he would not let him cause him to have anything that would cause him to stumble and miss the purpose that his Father had sent him to do. We see this played out in the young ruler's life. This rich young ruler who was an amazing individual that had everything and lived his life almost perfect, but one thing that he lacked. He had allowed something that by itself was nothing wrong with it. He let riches, he let his wealth become bigger than God. And when it came down to it, this thing that seemed to be so insignificant, the Lord revealed to him, it became to him as sin because he loved wealth more than he did God. And when he did that, he would not give it up. He walked away sorrowfully. Why? Because he let it get so tight that it tripped him and knocked him off course. In our lives, there's so many times you have to watch. Listen, what I've learned is that when God reveals to me, when that, you know, the best time to stop things is that first little caution when you feel it. When you, when you feel God just prick your spirit, just even a question mark. It's that small amount of time that you have an opportunity to get it out. To say, God, if you've already, if you've already caused me to question it, I'm willing to lay it down because I don't want nothing. I don't want nothing in my path. I had a, a man that I had a lot of confidence in in the past. Didn't even realize that he felt like there was anything. And he called me and wanted to come see me. And he was getting up in years and he wanted to talk to me. And he was worried that an event that had happened in the past, I might be offended. And he was like, listen, I don't want there to be anything between me and you because I don't want there to be anything between me and God. And if I've done something to offend you, 
please forgive me. And I'm assured him, I've got no problems. We're in good shape. Everything's great. But it amazed me. Why? Because he was trying to get rid of anything that was going to hinder his walk. Because his, his walk was coming, you know, a few years, well, it was a few years later. He went in, he went on to see his maker and see the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, he knew he had everything taken care of. And so that's sometimes the, the way we need to be is don't let anything throw us off. We see in Scripture there was those that had such, an, such a mighty ministry and yet they turned back. Paul tells us of Demas who did this. Demas, a man in Scripture that was, he greeted churches and said, my brother Demas and I send you, we send you uh, our regards. We, uh, he's, he's a fellow worker and he was a mighty uh, used man of God with the Apostle Paul. But we see that something happened and he turned back. He let that little sin get in his heart and life and instead of pushing it off, instead of saying, God, I don't want anything greater than you in my life, he let it hang on because it was little probably. And we see that and we see that Paul tells us about his co-worker turning back in 2 Timothy 4.10 where it says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. He's saying here that something happened to Demas. And this time, instead of me giving you his, his regard, I'm giving you my regrets. Demas has turned back. The world got a hold of him and he turned back. He didn't finish the cross, through, cross the finish line. We need to realize that whatever these things is, that God deals with their hearts. Listen, I don't know that. I can't see in your life. You can't see in mine. But the Lord sometimes, and I will tell you this, He will deal with you distinctly. He will put a caution in your spirit. He will let you know if you want to draw closer to me, that's in the way. Those things, whatever He puts on your heart, don't let anything get greater than God. Don't let anything distract you from your true path that you're on and serving Him. B.H. Clendenin had a statement that he used, and I believe it's so true. He said that anything that will pull you out of that altar will pull you out of God. And that's where it starts, isn't it? We will be, there is, let, me, let me say that to you one more time. You, I think it's a good one to memorize because this is where it usually starts. Before you ever get out the back door, it affects the way you act at this altar. Your prayer life will take a hit before you ever walk away from God. You know, nobody has ever just turned, they've been in a prayer meeting and speaking in tongues and they've been full of the power of God and the next day they've turned their back on God and walking away. No, no, no. It doesn't happen like that. There is gradual steps that happen and the first thing that happens is right in the altar. Whatever will pull you out of that altar will pull you out of God. It starts in the heart. It keeps us making excuses. We don't have time to pray anymore. We don't have time for the Word of God anymore. Then we don't have time for the house of God anymore. And then we've lost it all. And so this Word here is encouraging us. Keep your eyes where they need to be and don't look back. Don't be like Demas because he did not throw off the sin and it tripped him and off the course he went. So we've seen here to finish your race, you need to look back. To finish your race, you need to look in and take an examination of what's going on in your own life. And then to finish your race, you must look ahead. You must look ahead. Verse 1 goes on and says, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That word of patience we've talked about lately, it means endurance. Run with endurance by looking forward at the race that is set before us. 
The Lord has put you, as I mentioned earlier, in this very hour that you live in. This is not a coincidence. This is not just some uh, chance that you ended up where you are. God allowed you to be living today right where you are. And so not only that, when we give our heart to Him, He has put us on a race and a course. When you run that race and you get on that track, you will know that there is a lane that you're supposed to be in. Now, it's not very wide. And in fact, in some, and I don't know if it's all, but in some races, if you step out of that lane, you're disqualified. So if you're going to stay in it, you've got to keep your eyes looking forward. You can't be horsing around, looking in the stands and waving at people as you go by and doing all these things. You've got to keep your eyes where you're going because that lane is narrow. And, and the Word of God, it's not going to be up here, but the Word of God, the Lord tells us that the, the path that you and I are on, the race that we're on, it says narrow is the way. It says straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth, basically leadeth to everlasting life. And few there be that find it. Few there be. But all oh, that path that's leading destruction is broad is the gate. Broad is the gate. In the majority of the world, if you're following, if you look and your path is going the same lane as everybody else, you might want to be concerned. Because if you're going the same direction as everybody else, you might be in trouble. Because the Word of God says, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. So this race, to be able to finish this race, you've got to keep looking forward and realize God has put you there right where you are for a purpose. Not only that, He's given, there is calls on your life. There is people in this service today, even though it's not a great number, that God has got a call on your life and maybe you're not even fulfilling it. Maybe you feel, let me tell you something, way before I ever got behind a pulpit, I felt God touching me. Sometimes it would scare me to death. I was terrified. I knew God was pulling at me and drawing me. I, I could tell you times that it was like it was so real that it freaked me out even as a young boy. That when I would start moving toward the things of God, God would do things that would say, i got a plan for your life. I want to do some things in your life. Let me tell you something. The enemy didn't give up. He got worse. That's when he starts pulling at you even more. Let me tell you something. God may have put a finger on your life and you feel it. And God, no matter what, when you run, there's people watching you. And God's put you where you are for a purpose. And there's people that's discouraged and they're watching your life. And you need to realize it's so important that you keep moving forward. And you be a testimony from those others that's watching you. There's not a soul in this church today that there isn't people watching you. Whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, whether no matter who it is, someone is watching you. And they're trying to see if you're living and you believe what you really say you do. Has God really made a difference in your life? And that's exactly what will draw others to the presence of the Lord when they see what God's doing. And the only way we can do it is keep our eyes looking forward. That finish line is just in sight. We've got to keep looking forward. Hallelujah. And when that runner has got his eyes looking forward, they're trained ahead. They're looking toward that finish line. There's only one thing on their mind. I've got to finish this race. I'm not going to mess around. I've got to keep running because the, the finish line is just ahead. Amen? So when we are going to finish this race, we need to look back. 
We need to look back and see the examples that's all around us of those who've went on. We need to look within and find those things that God wants us to lay down that's keeping us from running successfully, that's keeping us from running, that'll try to pull us down, slow us down, drag us off to track. And then those sins that tries to cause us to stumble and fall. How many people that you can know that maybe even sit in a pew in this church? They were on fire for God at one point, And we see that something caused them to stumble and fall. And now they're on the wayside. And we're praying for them. God, get them back on course. Don't let that happen. We've got to keep not only looking within, but look ahead. And finally, to finish this race, you must look up. You must look up. It says in verse 2, it says, Looking, your eyes are fixed upon one thing, unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. We've got our eyes fixed on one thing. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, preaching the Word of God. Listen, he, his job, most of us would have said, no, that's okay, get somebody else to do it. His job was waiting on tables. Most of us doesn't work our, our, our whole lives... <coughs> I started giving an illustration, but I want somebody else in here maybe have this aspiration. I remember I was amazed at, I won't say what it was. It was a, in high school, I had this guy that was older than me, and we all got talking. They were asking each of us, what do you want to be? When you graduate, what do you want to be? And what he said, I won't say. But what he said, I thought, what? That's what, you want to do that? <laughs> Ain't no way I want to do that. I mean, it's like, couldn't you think a little higher than that? And so sometimes we got to get our focus. We got to get our focus on something. And so sometimes we sell ourselves a little short. Sometimes we can do so much better. But we need to fix our eyes on the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. It's telling us there that Jesus, first of all, He's the door. He's the entrance to your faith. When you got saved, you came in at that narrow gate. And that narrow gate is the one that he, he won. He, he won a battle and He died on a cross. And all of a sudden, an opening was made that wasn't there before. You see, what these others in the Old Testament, this Old Covenant, could not do. It could not forgive sin. It could just cover sin. But we see that when Jesus came and He, he was the author, He was the beginning. He is the entrance. He is the person that we get saved through. And Scripture tells us that there is no other way. He's the entrance. Christ's victory on the cross created a doorway, an opening for those of us who would enter into that narrow path. The door of entry is through none other than Jesus Christ. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. And by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. We have to find the entrance through Jesus Christ. He's the author of our faith. He's the one that paid the price so that we could have life. Amen? Amen. I was a, there was a, I found this little statement that was made by, from hundreds of years ago by a bishop of the early church. And he was a remarkable example of contentment. And he was asked the secret. How are you so content with whatever goes on, even the bad things in your life? And here was his reply. He said, it consists in nothing more than making the right use of my eyes. In whatever state I am, he said, I first look up to heaven 
And remember that my principal business here is to get there. Number two, he says, Then I look down on earth and call to mind how small a piece or a place I shall occupy in it when I die and am buried. That little place that we're left. He said, Then I look around in the world and observe that multitudes there are there are multitudes there who are in many respects more unhappy than myself. People's got it bad. Thus I learn where true happiness is placed, where all our cares must end, and what little reason I have to complain. It's where your eyes are. We need to realize how sometimes we make ourselves more important than we are. We think that everything is uh, all about us, but when we realize where we're going, and how little this life here is, and how blessed we truly are, it causes us to be able to move forward with endurance and contentment because God is good. Amen? Jesus is the door of our faith. Jesus is the destination of our faith. He's the one standing at that finish line. When Stephen was, as I was saying a minute ago, if Stephen was given a job, he volunteered and was happy to wait on tables. The widows of the church was not being taken care of. They took seven men and gave them the task, wait on these ladies and you feed them each day. And that was their job so that the men, the, the apostles could spend their time in prayer and reading the word of God and preaching the word of God. We see that he didn't, wasn't content just. He'd done that in whatever spare time he had. He was in the synagogues preaching the word of God. He was come against a group of people that hated what he had to say and they were furious with him to the point that they were killing him. They were taking his life. But in the midst of this persecution, where was Stephen's eyes? Was it on the ground? Was it on the cuts? Was it on the people? I mean, he did look at them and said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But when we see that at the end of that, there was a beautiful picture that as he was, he, by the way, he's running toward that finish line. And in fact, he's one of the first to get across it. He's running toward that finish line and they're taking, they're abusing him. They're hating on him. They're, they're killing him. But when we see that as he crosses that finish line, he's not looking around or behind or anywhere. His final destination, his eyes are looking up. He says, look, look. There's the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. Do you know what he was standing for? He's standing at the finish line. He's standing there and saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You can make it. Come on, I'm waiting for you. I'm standing here. I'm going to congratulate you as you walk across into your eternal reward. And so we see that at the end of his life, his eyes are not anywhere but looking at his Savior. And this word is saying the same thing to us. Don't get your eyes anywhere else, but look at the Savior. When trouble comes, look at the Savior. When you're going through problems, look at the Savior. When you're fearful and don't know what to do, keep looking at the Savior who is our help. Hallelujah. He is the destination that we're running toward. It says in verse, goes on in verse 2, Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Joy. How in the world could Jesus die on the cross and have joy? 
Why in the world would he choose that? What's it talking about? Wasn't he suffering? Absolutely he was suffering. Was it the most horrible thing? Yes, it was. But what it's talking about is because of what he was going to be able to receive. What was that? First of all, he was going to receive the reward of being faithful to his father and finishing his course. You see, he set his course and he's the one that went first and his is much worse than ours could ever be. And he's setting an example for you and I and he's setting that course and he was going to be the one who wanted to hear his own father who had said earlier, I'm very well pleased in you. And he wanted him to say, son, you kept the course. You, you are faithful and your reward and you, you are faithful and I th- I'm so pleased in you. In fact, we see Matthew 25, 23 says, his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter there thou into the joy of thy Lord. The joy that was set before him. Not only was it to finish his course, the joy was providing salvation for you and me. He was going to win back the the salvation that you and I could never do in ourselves. We were hopeless, but He bought our salvation. The joy, if I endure, then I win salvation for those that are separated from my Father. And they'll be able to have eternal life. We see in Hebrews 2.10, the English Standard Version says, For it was fitting that He, the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder, there's the entrance, the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He is your example, and He is the entrance, and He is the one who showed us an example of how to run and endure, because, and He did it because He wanted to purchase salvation for you and me. It goes on in verse 2 and says, despising the shame. Now, if you read that, you would think that it's actually saying in despising the shame is actually talking about that he hated it. That he was, uh, that he didn't want to endure it. But that word actually there, that word actually means in despising the shame is actually disregarded it. In other words, he says that even though it's going to be horrible what I'm going to go through, that I did, that to me it's not even important because of what I'm going to be able to accomplish is going through. It just said he threw it off. I hate it. It's embarrassing. It's horrible what I'm going to go through. But oh, I don't, it's nothing compared to the benefit of what's going to happen when I endure that cross. Thank God that he despised, disregarded the shame of the cross. Hebrews 2.11 says, For both he that sanctifieth and they which are who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He, he, he disregarded, he was not ashamed to endure the cross so that you and I could be brought in right relationship with his Father. And it goes on in that verse 2 and finishes and it says, where is he at now? And it says, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the destination. He's our example. He finished the course. He now is sitting at the right hand of the Father and He's saying to us, this is your destination. If you keep running your course, you're going to be here in the same presence with me and my Father. I've got a plan in your life. And so we want to keep moving forward because of what He's done. He is 
our destination. And finally, we see that Jesus, we keep our eyes on Him because He's the one who gives us determination of our faith. He's the one that gives us that determination because we look at Him. Have you ever endured anything because someone, you knew somebody else had done it and you thought, well, I can do it if they did it? I told you all recently that dad's had those, uh, you all see me last Sunday, I looked a little bit uh, toasted, uh, it was pretty bad, and uh, they, actually, they messed up on that procedure, and, and they let the stuff soak in like 50% longer than they were supposed to, and it really burned me up. So the whole, now listen, let me, this is the funny part, now I'm sitting there, after you, they put this stuff on, they're actually burning, you're going to burn the whole layer of skin on your face, and you're sitting in front, it looks like a tanning bed for your face. Your face is going inside this. So they turn these lights on, and after about 60 seconds, you start feeling it. By the second minute, and Dad could come out and testify because he sits in there for like 16 minutes. I don't, man, I'm telling you what, I don't I have more respect for Dad, some of the things he's gone through. But uh, he sits in that thing. But they burnt me up this last time. And I'm sitting in there, and I'm praying. Here's what the funny part was. I was praying. This room, there's nobody else left in there. They turn the lights out, turn this thing on, or the lights on, and they, they burn it. And while you're, you're in there by yourself, and you push a button when you're done. So I was praying out loud. I was praying out loud. And the hotter it got, the more I was praying for lost souls. Because I was thinking about I'm getting burned up. And I'm like, oh, God, please. You know, I'm sitting there. And I keep thinking. Here's how I keep making it. If Dad can go six. I can go six. <laughs> I can go six. If dad goes six, I don't know how he does it. Holy cow. So the only way you do, the only way you can endure it is just saying, the end is coming. <laughs> I know I can make it. I don't want to give up too quickly. I got to keep my eyes because I know others has gone on before me. So you know I got to do it. I can hang in there. But if you was the first person that ever did it, you'd be thinking, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> you think something, have you ever had that thing, how do I get through this? But then you look at, well, my Lord did so much more for me. These people in chapter 11, this hall of faith, heroes of faith, they went through incredible things that I've never even imagined. And all they could do was see from a distance what God was going to do. And I get to experience the true presence of God within my life and the Holy Spirit. And I've got so much more reason I can surely make it. I can surely make it. For we see that that last part hits, tells us that in verse 3, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. They spit on him. They hated him. They beat him. to the, They ripped his back apart. They, they put a crown of thorns and shoved him down his, to his brow and beat him down where blood was dripping off his face. Then they nailed him. They had him drag a cross to where he had not enough strength. He kept collapsing. And then they had a man help him to get it to the destination. Only to lay him on a cross and to drive spikes into his hands and feet. And then raise him up into a position to where he would actually suffocate. Because he eventually couldn't have enough strength to raise up to get another breath. And eventually he would die. The most excruciating they had perfected death like no other. We could go into a whole sermon on that. It's incredible. And if he could go through all that for me, and I look at him who is the author and finisher of my faith, surely I can make it another step. Surely I can keep running toward the one who is now standing at the finish line and saying, you can make it. You can make it finish the course. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look left or right. You can do it. We've got to look what we're running, folks. 
we got to look where we're running because those that don't look find themselves off course. You won't accidentally get there. It's only those in this hour and the hours to come will be those that are determined and says nothing can deviate me. I'm going to finish my course. I'm going to do what he called me to do and I'm not taking my eyes off of him. Are you determined today? We've looked at the last three weeks, these chapters. I encourage you to read 10 through 12 in your spare time and get encouraged to realize the race. You're on it. The destination is just in sight. We've got to hang on so that we can hear that wonderful statement. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into thy reward. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what we want to hear. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Bow our heads. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, we thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you encourage us this morning. That, Lord, that what the race that you ran was so much more difficult than we would ever face. And that, Lord, that by looking at us, God, we were a prize that was set before you. And God, you knew that if you endured and you stayed on that cross and you finished the course, that Lord no doubt troubled you to be separated from your Father in sin to cover you and the incredible suffering that you had to endure. But Lord, you say that when you looked at us and you look at the joy that was set before you, you just cast it off and you held on because of the great reward that you was going to receive in what you did for us. Thank you, Lord. That God, you're the author of our faith. You're the example of our faith. You're the destination of our faith. And God, I pray right now in this service, God, you start with the preacher and then move to the pew. And mighty God, that Lord, you would examine us, God. That Lord, as we encourage yourself by looking back, that Lord, that right now, we would look within ourselves. And God, if you've revealed anything, Lord, you do. That's the way you operate. God, that if through the power of your Holy Spirit, if you've pricked things in our heart, if you've revealed things, Lord, today in this service in people's minds, and if there was even a question mark there, Lord, I believe it was you. God, I don't see it. It's not me. It wouldn't do any good if I said something. But God, if you've revealed anything in any lives today, God, I pray that as the Word of God says, we cast it off. God, that it would become unimportant, that the most important thing is that we would see this little life that we live, the destination that we have, and that, Lord, the eternity that we're moving toward. God, I pray that you would deal with hearts and lives today. That, God, when we leave this service today, that, God, that when we leave this house, dear God, that we would leave here with the full assurance of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, we don't have to think if we're ready, we walk out victorious, running toward that finish line. And God, nothing this world has to offer could pull us off track. Thank you, God, that you're encouraging us in this hour. Let nothing get our attention but you. In Jesus' name. This morning, as Sister Priscilla would come, I want you to keep your head bowed for just a minute. This morning, I just want to ask you, I just, I just want to open the opportunity this morning. If there's anyone here this morning in the sound of my voice that you're willing to say, brother, as you was preaching this morning, God put some things in my mind that I know that they're weights. 
There's things that's dragging me down. There's things that maybe that I know that God's pricking my heart that I know that I want to push them off to the side. I don't need these in my life, but I want to run toward that prize. I want to run toward that destination with nothing hindering me this morning. No one's looking but me. And if you say, pray for me because I feel like He's touching me this morning and He wants me to lay down some things this morning that maybe is distracting me. And if that's you this morning, just raise your hand and put it down so I know to pray for you you this morning. Oh, that God would be able to do a mighty work in your life. That God would be able to speak and move in your life this morning. Is there anyone this morning you would say that I need help. I need God to move. I need God to have His way in my life. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, this morning you may be here and you know that you're on the right course and you've got, you're on that path, but you might want to raise your hand and say, oh, pray for me that I keep my eyes where it needs to be, that everything that I would run with all my might, that I would be able to finish the course, that my eyes would be only on the Lord Jesus Christ and that whatever He wants me to do, that's what I want to do, and that I would finish the finish line with no problems, that I would move toward the Savior. And you say, pray for me because that's the desires of my heart. Amen. That's the desire of my heart to finish that course. Oh, that's what God wants in each and of our lives. That's what God wants in your life and mine. And this morning, I pray, as Sister Priscilla plays this morning, this altar is open, and I encourage you to find a place in this altar this morning. And you would come and say, Lord, that's me. I stand determined. Lord, I'm running towards you. And God, open my eyes. Lord, let me run with all my strength as you help me. Lord, as my eyes are fixed on you, Almighty God, help me to finish the course. God, let nothing distract me. Let no temptation, let no trouble, let no problem distract me from you. Oh, but I would finish the course. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Almighty God, that you would move. God, that you would move in this place. God, each and every life, God. Lord, as they call on you. Almighty God, Lord, that you would reveal. God, that you would move. God, that you would move in our hearts and lives. Almighty God, hallelujah. Have your way, God. Have your way, Lord. Here we are. Almighty God, that we get our eyes on you. That we would get our eyes on the destination of our souls. Almighty Lord, that you would reveal, God. God, our eyes would be open. Oh, Lord, that God, nothing's more important than God finishing the course. Nothing's more important than God to see your precious face. Almighty God. Hallelujah. Have your way. Have your way in this place, God. Have your way in each life. God, you see each heart. You see each life. Almighty God, let there be, Lord, such a determination. God, that we would see, Lord, as we've never seen before. God, our eyes would be on you.